This is R.J. Allen, and you're listening to Rough Drafts. This is the podcast where you can get a sneak peek at early versions of my novels before they're published. For more information, go to our website at rjallen.com. That's rjallen.com. Season 1, Episode 17. The Seekers Series, Book 1, Fragments, Chapter 9, Part 2. Let us get more comfortable for this. Curtis stood and gestured to the twin rockers. We're back to the problem of material and immaterial. I can't prove or disprove anything I can't see, touch, or feel, and even those are subject to error. I believe the cases are more similar than you realize. Rule's chair legs grated against the concrete as he pushed back from the table. He grabbed his untouched tea and crossed the room to the rockers with their plush padded cushions. Gravity is an invisible force, yet you stipulated the law governing it is true because you are able to observe its action upon the physical world. I propose the existence of Creator God might be proven in exactly the same way. But hold that thought. He grunted, shifting into position, then reached back and adjusted the cushion behind him. Done, he braced his teacup in his lap, one hand lax about its side. Let us first speak of good and evil. Who is this creator God? Having been rocking, Curtis slowed the motion, jerked upright, and gripped the chair's smooth wood armrests. Why are you saying creator God instead of the eternal that is a subject we will discuss another day. Or not. For the sake of this argument, let us define Creator God as the Supreme Being, the Creator of the universe. The Eternal is the God presented by the writings, which I believe we both agree are flawed. I am differentiating the two to avoid confusing the Eternal with the concept of a true God. Fair enough? The armrests cut into his palms as his grip tightened. Talking about the eternal that way makes me shiver. It will pass. Now, how to prove the existence of good and evil? How would one make the case that this thing is good or the other evil? He loosened his grips on the wooden rests, crossed his arms, and scowled at the fireplace, the coals sulking into dormancy. I've been thinking about this. You can't. That was one obvious flaw in the writings, one I ignored. I'm still trying to figure out why I did. What specifically was that flaw. The writings claimed to be truth, 
the one standard by which we could measure good and evil. At the same time, they said there was no absolute truth and that all truths are relative and equally valid. In my need to create some sort of meaning in my life, I chose not to think about problems like that. At least until now. He shook himself. So anyway, without that objective standard, how can you define good and evil, much less prove one or the other exists? You can't. Professor Rule raised a bushy white brow. Can't you? If I steal from you or injure you for no reason, would that not be evil? Surely you can stipulate that. I wouldn't like it, but how do I prove it to be evil? Curtis pushed against his toes to resume rocking, the motion lulling him his stiff back curving to the rest. Good to one person could be evil to another, can't it? You know as well as I, there have been cultures that considered it good to steal from strangers, just not from friends. Some cultures considered harm to outsiders to be a virtue. Entire societies agreed on that standard of good. Who am I to impose my opinion on them? How do I know I'm right? I don't. Professor Rule sipped from his tea and then frowned as if surprised to find it had cooled. So you allow the definition of good and evil to be put to a vote. Whatever the majority says goes. If public opinion changes... So does the moral underpinning of society? You are building your moral foundations on shifting sand, surrendering to chaos. What else can I do? The chair creaked. Rule stretched forward to set his unfinished teacup on the hearth. I wonder whether shock has gotten the better of your senses. You are, however, correct in saying the lack of an objective standard is a problem. Where to find such a yardstick by which to measure all other things? One that is accurate and true. The cat edged their way again, peeping toward the teacup. Surely the critter didn't think it could get a sip. I have a proposal. Rule sank back, putting his rocker into motion. Imagine, if you would, a being who is omniscient, knowing all things, and omnipresent, all-powerful, and all-wise. Also imagine such a being is perfectly loving and perfectly just. This being is infinitely perfect in all these things, and more. So much more than we could ever imagine in our limited minds. The cat paused, crouched and eyed rule, judging whether the old man would interrupt his discourse to rescue his teacup or enwrapped with the scenario he presented. 
Rule cleared his throat, his tone hypnotic. Not only does he have perfect knowledge of what is best for you and for everyone on the planet, but he also loves you so much, he wants that very best thing for you. In addition, he has a perfect knowledge of the nature of good and evil and understanding beyond our kin. Would you accept that being's ruling about what is good and what is evil? The cat remained entranced, firelight glowing, reflecting from within his eyes. Nice theory. Too bad that's all it can be. Curtis reached for the teacup and tipped it slightly to spill a drop for the critter, his fellow cellmate, to drink. Why? Rule nudged him, surely not asking why Curtis fed the cat. Curtis let out a long-suffering sigh. They had been over this. Unless I missed it, no such being has descended from the clouds to show us the way. If such a being exists, I don't know it, and I can't prove it. Even if it did exist, how can I know what it thinks about anything? He'd named the cat Watson, his fellow companion and sleuth. Eh? Are you certain one has not? Scratch that. Please answer my previous question. Would you accept the standard of good and evil such a perfect being provided to you? How could I not? How could I argue? I don't have the understanding he does. Ah, very good. Given the existence of Creator God as a prerequisite, we now have a framework that allows for the existence of and for the definition of good and evil. Now we only have to prove the existence of Creator God and the trifecta of impossible questions will have been resolved. Good luck with that last one. The cat edged forward. Curtis inwardly cheered Watson on. Professor Rule tapped a finger to the side of his lips. If Creator God exists, and I contend that he does, I need only turn your attention to him. Truth is self-existent and self-evident. It is not of any effort on my part. He leaned back in his chair, hands steepled before his mouth, blue eyes and tints above them. Tell me, my boy, what does your heart tell you in truth? Is there more to life than this short mortal span here in this material world? Is there more to existence? Something beyond which our world-bound eyes can see. When you die, is that the end? Is your consciousness simply a side effect of base physical processes? To be snuffed forever out when your body breathes its last? Curtis shifted in his chair, hand to chin. 
his eyes turning inward. What did he believe? My mind resists the idea that whatever I am, my spirit or my soul, or whatever you want to call it, would cease to exist when I die. That might be wishful thinking, though. How can I know one way or another? I believe what you are feeling is not wishful thinking, but the fingerprint of Creator God. When He created you, He put eternity in your heart. Rule rocked forward, and intensely persuasive, gently tapped his own chest. That is what you are feeling. You say that's what I'm feeling. Again, where is your proof? Rule rolled his eyes inside, settling back into his cushions, watching Watson as if looking to him for answers. Seeming to have gained inspiration, whether from the cat or no, he looked back to Curtis. Think of this, if you would. Here I am the thing that I think of as me. What is that thing? What is it that created this person, this self-aware consciousness that inhabits my body? Can I be a mere side effect of the chemical and electrical impulses in my brain? Nothing comes from nothing. Something as marvelous as life as mysterious as the miracle of your body, of your mind, of your soul and spirit, had to come from something. And that something is Creator God. You say you need proof of the existence of Creator God. Look around you, inside yourself, and you will see all the proof you need. Curtis breathed in and exhaled. I want to believe, but how can I know, really know? There is no way. Professor Rule chuckled. You have always been my most difficult student, requiring me to prove every postulate, every premise unwilling to accept anything on faith. Very well. You require an objective proof? If your very existence is not proof enough for you, then consider this. You and Philip shared a dream, and that dream saved your life. There is no rational, worldly explanation for that. That night of his escape, Curtis's heart warmed at the memory. What a selfless act Philip had done. And what of the dream messenger who had sent Philip to his aid? I've always resisted the idea of supernatural happenings. I've always said such stories were the superstitious ramblings of weak minds. In this case, 
I cannot deny reality. It seems like a miracle. But I don't understand it. So you accept this as proof? Proof of what? I can't explain it. But I don't understand it either. I don't know what it means or where it came from. Professor Rule shook his head and sighed. And Watson slipped forward and lapped up the spilled tea.